Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. All right, everyone, welcome to the Sports Rivals for your first August edition. For Ernie, I'm Monty, and we are ready to talk sports. Ernie, we are getting ready for the football season. We had the Hall of Fame induction ceremony over the weekend. Mm -hmm. We had the Hall of Fame game where the Raiders look decent, but not that these games mean anything because none of the starters play. But they defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars 27 to 10. We're going to talk a lot about the NFL, but I do want to start with baseball. Right. I mean, we, we skipped last week and I do want to acknowledge that last week was my mother's celebration of life. Um, God bless you, mom. But we're back here this week and I want to talk about the trade deadline because my Los Angeles Dodgers uncharacteristically really didn't do anything. I mean, they made one minor addition, getting Joey Gallo from the Yankees for a minor leaguer, and then they had a minor league trade, but nothing of significance considering last year at this time, they picked up Max Scherzer right. and Trey Turner, right. and in the past, they picked up people like Manny Machado and Hugh Darvish, yeah. but this year, they didn't do anything. Well, that's because, that's because I mean, if the wheel ain't broken, why fix it? And really, the second wheel, if you're talking about uh, you know who they're challenging... Uh, for there really isn't much challenge uh, for the Dodgers, so wh- why even finagle with it? So I, I, I yes, well, I, I think the Dodgers did try. They they did try to make an effort to get Juan Soto, and we'll talk a little bit about the Juan Soto trade. But I think if you follow the Dodgers closely, like I do, you realize how many injuries the Dodgers have had this year. Uh-huh. As critical as I've been of Dave Roberts in the past. I don't think there's any way he should not be the National League Manager of the Year. They are 75 and 33, 42 games above 500, 15 and a half games clear in their division, six and a half games clear now of the New York Yankees. Now the Yankees have slid back a little bit, but it was about a month ago or a month and a half ago that the Dodgers were 12 games back of the Yankees. Now they're six and a half games ahead of them. And that's without Ace Walker Bueller, who has been hurt. That's without Clayton Kershaw, who's now hurt and probably going to miss the rest of the regular season. That's without three of our best relief pitchers. That's without Chris Taylor. That's without Justin Turner. And that's with only three guys really hitting with Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman. Yet they're 75 and 33. It's remarkable. So I think what the Dodgers did is... We're going to get Dustin May back. We're going to get Bueller back. We're going to get all our relievers back. We're going to get Justin Turner back. We're going to get Chris Taylor back. And all of those guys, even if all of them probably won't bounce back to their pre-injury levels, but having that influx of talent and energy is the equivalent of a trade. Mm-hmm. And after last year's ransom that they had to give up for Max Serger and for Trey Turner, I'm really happy that the Dodgers didn't mortgage the rest of their minor league system to go out and get Juan Soto. Now, that is something that the San Diego Padres did. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt when you look about big splash, there's no doubt that the San Diego Padres won the trade deadline. Before they got Juan Soto, they actually got the best reliever in the National League, Josh Hader um, from the Milwaukee Brewers. They get him to fortify their bullpen. And then the next day, they trade six guys, their four best prospects and two others, 
to get Juan Soto and Josh Bell from the Nationals. So you're looking at a lineup now when, when Fernando Tatis, who started a rehab assignment today, comes back in a couple of weeks. That's going to have Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, and Manny Machado hitting in some order two, three, and four. That is a murderer's role of young offensive talent. So Juan Soto, who, who I was talking to Ernie about, his stats through this age at 23 is on par with Ted Williams as the greatest starts in Major League history. So some have called this the biggest trade in Major League Baseball history because never before has a superstar of Juan Soto's ability been traded at such a young age. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the Padres acquiring such a mammoth talent? And will that make a difference in their attempt to... to uh pass the Dodgers not so much in the regular season but in the postseason yeah I mean I think the regular season is set and done for we got about 50 games left they're what 15 and a half 16 games behind in, in that I mean something would really have to uh you know fall hard on the the Dodgers in order for San Diego to come out now they can make it close but I think their potential is uh they're you know getting Tatis back with that you know big punch duel out there Candy out slug you know, the pitching staff of the Dodgers and really make a run, you know, during postseason play. So that remains to be seen. I mean, there's, I, I believe the whole thing comes with chemistry, how they manage that lineup, how, how, you know, how they ma- manage that lineup, how it works, you know, how they put everything together in that, uh, you know, in, in that particular lineup and see if everything clicks. I, I mean, we just got to go back to last year. I mean, the, all the focus was, on you know other teams other than the Braves and the Braves pull it out so yeah know. it does you're absolutely right it's a matter of how well you're playing at the right exactly. time of the year exactly and the Braves got hot late and that's and and so as a Dodger fan although the Dodgers swept the Padres this weekend a lot of fanfare around that being that Juan Soto was brought in uh the Dodgers blew him out three games in a row but that really doesn't matter it all that matters is what happens should they come across each other in the playoffs. Right. And that is going to be a tough out when you have a dominant closer and you have three guys that can hit like that. It's going to come down to how good will the Padres pitching be. And right now the starting pitching is faltering a little bit. Exactly. Um, but with those three guys hitting, they can outscore a lot of teams. So the Padres are certainly in a much better position, but they definitely made the biggest splash with the trade deadline. So let's quickly go over some of the major trades. Not other than that one couple of deals, there's not a whole lot, but I think the Mariners picking up Luis Castillo from the Reds was a good sign that the Mariners are going all in to try to make the playoffs as a wild card. That now gives them uh, Robbie Ray, last year Cy Young winner, Luis Castillo, who's an all-star at the Reds this year, and Logan Gilbert, another all-star this year as a formidable top three. The Yankees went out and got a couple of pitchers from the A's, headlined by Montes, who got bombed today by the Cardinals. And the Yankees have fallen on some tough times. Yeah. And then the Angels all of a sudden decided to purge again. They got rid of almost everybody, not named Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Uh, trading Marsh, trading Iglesias, the closer to the Braves, Syndergaard and Marsh to the Phillies. Uh, and we talked about my Dodgers who kind of stood pat. So not as busy a trade deadline as many people expected, but you did hit that big splash with the Padres. Yeah, you do. And then uh, I really don't want to get off this subject until we actually 
mentioned the other New York team, the Mets, who have been on a tear. How badly the Yankees have been playing, you know, the last couple of weeks. The Mets have done the exact opposite. They're on a streak of their own. They're, I mean, really, they're, they're up to, uh, you know, the second best. They're tied with the second best record. They're tied with the, the Yankees next to your, next to your Dodgers. So, I mean, they're clicking on all cylinders right now with 50 games remaining. They can still make a push and make themselves very relevant in come postseason. Well, I think with the Mets, what was remarkable about the Mets all year long, they've been in first place. It's been wire to wire and they were doing most of that damage without their two aces. Mm -hmm. I mean, Max Scherzer missed a couple of months and Jacob DeGrom just recently came back. Today he pitches, he strikes out 12 of the first 17 guys. He's perfect through five and two thirds innings. If Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer are healthy at the start of the playoffs, the Mets are going to be an extremely tough out. You're talking about two dominant aces. And as much as I love my Dodgers right now, our aces are Tony Gonzalez at 13 and one and Tyler Anderson at 13 and one. I wouldn't like our chances against Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. It's remarkable what they've done so far. But going into the playoffs, as dominant as the Dodgers have been, almost every team in the National League could knock them out. Mm -hmm. Padres because of their offense, Mets because of their pitching, and they have the RBI leader. The Braves already proved this last year with Max Fried and their dominant bullpen. Even your Cardinals are playing well. You have two MVP candidates, probably the MVP and Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado is right there in the MVP race as well. They're in first place now. Their pitching is a little bit suspect, yeah. but with that kind of offense... In a three, in a five game series, I could see anybody knocking off my it Dodgers, could. which uh, is yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it could. I mean, I'm hoping it, it, they'd have to get hot for multiple series, in my opinion. I mean, uh, the, you know, the Cardinals right now, I, I don't think they're complete, but yeah, in, in, in any game series, uh, they could be trouble. I just don't see it being a prolonged effect throughout the playoffs, at least right now. Uh, but uh, we'll cross our fingers when we cross that bridge. Now, in the American League, you mentioned the Yankees have come back to earth. I mean, they've been really mediocre at best for the last month or so. At best. And I think what happened early on is, is it was, again, it was that talk about the Yankees. If Judge can stay healthy and Stanton can stay healthy and their pitching staff can stay healthy, everything went perfectly through the end of June. Right. Then Severino gets hurt. He's on the 60-day IL. Stanton is hurt. He could be out for the rest of the year. Judge is still dominating. The guy has 43 home runs and 97 RBIs, and we still have 50 games left in the season. Mm -hmm. So Judge is still doing Judge things, but the entire rest of the team has regressed. Even Garrett Cole is getting lit up a little bit. Um, so... In the American League right now, for my money, the Houston Astros are probably the team to beat. I would agree. I would agree. I mean, the Yankees right now, I mean, let's just look at this. I mean, the, the other day they had 16 hits and they still lost. <laughs> so, you know, that, that just, that just tells me that, uh, you know, again, uh, the chemistry on top of there, how that lineup works in the grand scheme of things, uh, will, will, you know, th that'll be exposed in the playoffs. You know, it comes down to, uh, you know, the managers really break these things down to, to a science and analytics get out of any sport. Baseball is the sport where analytics really plays 
a major difference. Now the Yankees still have a huge lead in their in the American League East. They're still up nine and a half games on Toronto, but that division is all bunched up with all the teams. In playoff contention, you have the Yankees, you have the Blue Jays, nine and a half back. You have Tampa Bay, 11 and a half back. And the Baltimore Ernie's, the Baltimore Orioles, Ernie, have the best record in the American League over the last 45, 50 days. It is shocking, to say the <laughs> least. But they're right there at 58 and 52, 13 and a half games back. You think that in the Central, where Minnesota leads by one over the Cleveland Guardians and two over the White Sox, that don't take your eye off the White Sox. You expect them to make a run, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, they they've always been that type of team that you know turns it on on the second half, and especially during the playoffs, you know they make uh they make uh make make themselves basically relevant uh in postseason. But I would stay. I I would put my money right now on Houston right now. They're just playing you know very consistent ball. You know, I mean, and like I said, the Braves did it last year. Uh, I just, I'm just going to stick with consistency right now. The two teams will be your Dodgers and I like the Astros too right now. I mean, the Astros with, with uh, Justin Verlander at 15 and three with a 178 ERA is just dominating. So as we speak right now, the division winners would be the Yankees, the Astros and the Minnesota Twins barely. The wild cards right now would be the Toronto Blue Jays, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays or the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Seattle Mariners. That would be your uh, American League playoff. And in the National League, let's just skim down real quick. It's the Dodgers, Mets, and Cardinals, your division winners. And then your wild cards would be the Braves, the Phillies, and the San Diego Padres. So that would make for a very captivating, competitive playoffs where anyone really could get there. But I would agree with you, Ernie. I think right now at 75 and 33, the Dodgers are looking good. But when I look at the Mets rotation, what the Braves did to the Dodgers last year and the Padres offense, it would not shock me if the Dodgers struggle to get to the World Series again this year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It'll be it'll be one of those uh, years again. I mean, it's it's hard to repeat. Let's just say, well, not that they're going to repeat, but I mean, they are, they have, I mean, last year, 106 wins. This year, they're on target for 112 wins. And if there's nothing to show for it, that's really sad <laughs> for us Dodger fans. That's really sad. We'll get to more baseball a little bit later on, or at least uh, a baseball connection in my closing thought. But Ernie, let's transition to the NFL, okay. where the biggest thing for the last couple of weeks have been the Deshaun Watson. Right. We finally had a decision. The judge came out and ruled that he was going to be suspended for six days, six games. Mm -hmm. um, now, it didn't take long for the NFL to step in and not be very happy with that. They have filed an appeal. The NFL wants a minimum of one years, but they want an indefinite suspension with a minimum of one years. So we're kind of in that middle ground now where this is going to go to appeal. Let's take a step back and just kind of discuss this. Your initial thoughts on the six games. Did you think that was okay? What were your thoughts? I, I, I thought that was a gift if you're a Browns fan. I, I didn't think that was long enough. I was I was thinking at least, you know, eight to, eight to ten or something like that. I mean, I, I can see why they're uh, doing the appeal as far as the, uh, the NFLPA, but... <sighs> I mean, you're, 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 you're playing with fire there. I, it, nothing, all these allegations aren't settled. So 
as news collects, as uh, you know, things play out as far as the validity of these accusations, uh, the heat, the pressure, the media, uh, all the uh, you know, nonpartisan people who who really don't want this to happen. We'll see how that plays into it. Who, what influence that has in in regards to uh, if this suspension gets elongated or truncated so my my feeling is that it's going to be longer than six i mean i was shocked and we've talked about this before i thought he was going to be suspended for a minimum of one year and and let's i mean let's get into the legal profession for a little bit right now and and what the judge is looking at because there were 24 known cases that at least went to suit but 20 of them were already settled. Right. The judge was only able to talk to four cases. So she had to predicate her decision making on just these four cases. The other thing is she was basing the suspension based on some of the precedents that were set by earlier suspensions for Ray Rice and, and some of the others that had domestic disputes. Um, now, what I want to, you know, kind of unpack a little bit is I think we can all agree that with each passing year, we're living in a different time. So using a precedence from Ray Rice, which has already been, what, six, seven, eight years ago, right. is may not be as relevant as you think it's going to be. But that's kind of what she did. And I think, so now, what happens the next time? If this stays the same, then somebody else can have an accusation of 66 massage encounters where something bad happens and they can get away with it for a six game suspension because this is the precedent. So I feel very uneasy with that. Yeah. I mean, just to say that, I mean, let, let, let's get one thing wrong. Do I think that all 24 accusations are legit? I don't think so. I think, uh, a better part of this, uh, not that one or two make, don't make a difference, but I think a better part of this is, uh, you know, some of them want to get, uh, you know, get paid out on top of this. But I believe there is a, a, a again, multiple accusations out there that are, are, are legit. And if, if you're looking at Ray Rice, who basically got suspended and was basically out of football there, there on six is, is not enough. I don't see how that can be even, uh, partially really. But you know what, Ernie? I think that is the power of video. All of these accusations were hidden. Right. So it's words. The Ray Rice thing was nothing until there was a video and then there was outrage. And I really think that that's what's playing in here. Right. You can't physically see anything. There's no video proof of anything. So it's really hard to, to come down with the hammer. But if you're the NFL, you know that the Cleveland Browns on week seven, when he comes back, is going to be a mockery. There'll be women protests, oh, there'll yeah. be all kinds of oh, outrage. Yeah. So there's no doubt that this is having an impact on the financial well-being of the entire league. So I totally get what, what, the, what the league is doing and appealing. What is surprising to me is the Players Association's hardline stance on defending Deshaun Watson. I mean, maybe that's their responsibility, yeah. but in defending one person, you could be harming 
many of the other players when something like this happens or if the whole league becomes under tremendous financial pressure because of him that could have a greater impact on the mass of players than it is in protecting one player that you know or you should know it's reasonable to assume that he did something wrong right so i to me from the players association it would be it would behoove them to sacrifice so to speak Deshaun Watson and let him carry out this suspension to make sure that nothing like this happens again because these kinds of things will impact what the players make down the future yeah I mean that could be it but then again we're we're talking about the the NFL over here I mean by far as far as game for game you know the most watched sport uh out there you know if we're talking game by game uh that's going to be very very hard to tarnish I mean we've been through how many allegations from players to coaches to owners, if we're talking about that, you know, who have had, uh, various, uh, you know, misbehaving, uh, issues out there. So, uh, for Deshaun Watson, what type of tarnish that brings to the league? I don't think it's going to be that damaging. I think it's going to be to a point where if they do keep it at six, it'll be momentarily, uh, Temporary outrage. Temporary. temporary. And, 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 and I'm not saying it's away. it's going to be bad, but it'll be bad for maybe the year. I think it goes back to normal thereafter. You know, I, I mean. So what you're saying, Ernie, is the rest of the country is going to join you in having the Cleveland Browns be the most hated team in the NFL? They, yeah, they are. Because even their own team is is rejecting them. Kareem Hunt. I'm sorry, you said that he does not want to belong with the Cleveland Browns. So uh, it, it is what it is. I just got a feeling they're going to meet somewhere. How it's there's going to no matter what decision is going to be made, whether it be six games for or for the entire season. Come game one of 2023, there's going to be another protest. Okay, so this is it's it's not going to end. How what percentage of the general public you appease? is what's going to matter. Now, the, how long that carries through, I don't think it lasts another year. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. So on the other agenda of legal things, the Miami Dolphins got into some trouble. So let's break that down. They they were found guilty of two different things. One, they were found guilty of tampering um, with Tom Brady and, and uh uh, what's the, the Saints coach, Peyton, mm-hmm. you know, they were found guilty of tampering with them, with Brady as far back as 2019. So that cost them one number one pick. They were also found guilty of the charges leveraged by the coach of tanking. Um, and so the owner, Stephen Ross for the Miami Dolphins is suspended until October the 17th, fine one and a half million dollars, and they lose a third round pick. So, in summary, they're guilty of tampering and tanking. They lose a number one and a number three pick in the upcoming draft. Their owner is suspended for the first two months and they're fined a one and a half million dollars. Your thoughts on the Dolphin situation? I think that's perfect as far. I mean, I, I, everybody knows tampering exists. So, you know what? This is just, uh, another case where, you know, your hand got caught in the cookie jar, but tamper every team tampers. We, 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 we all know that. I mean, uh, it's not to the NBA level. Let's just say that NBA just takes it to a whole different level, but for the NFL tampering exists. I'm not, I'm not too worried about what really gets me 
is, you know, the tanking of the games. I mean, the, the, the coach that actually brought up those allegations is now with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's remaining relatively quiet. I'm loving what he's doing at training camp. It seems to be, be so I don't want to botchy things here for as far as what he's concerned. But when you talk about that, the NFL, as far as its, its credibility, cause let's not, let's, 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 let's not close our eyes, folks. Uh, a lot of these games in Vegas are quite important. <laughs> and when you do not play 82 games like the NBA or 162 games like the Major League Baseball, the 17 games uh, that you're allegedly tanking on is quite a percentage, even if it's two or three. So that is big cause because once you lose the credibility for that, the whole NFL will suffer. Yeah. I mean, I agree, but where do you draw the line? Like what, what could, what constitutes tanking? Like for example, this year with the Falcons, they really got rid of everybody, you know, so they, they signed Marcus Mariota. They draft the quarterback. Doesn't seem like they're that motivated. The same with the Seattle Seahawks. Um, we know that there's a monster class of quarterbacks coming out next year. It could be as many as seven drafted in the first round, three that could go one, two, and three. Um, so where's the line? Like, just because you verbally tell a coach, hey, I think we should lose, or you get rid of all your players, yeah. both could be construed as tanking, yeah. but one, you're not overtly exactly. dictating that you're asking a coach and a team to lose. That, that's the part. That's the part where, let's just say, I mean, I'm, I'm going to bring it back down to how Vegas would construe this. Vegas is putting out a line. Now, if that line entails you putting in a said quarterback and your starter is like slightly injured, but you just a actually have him listed as doubtful and he doesn't play. At least that plays into the line. But if that quarterback actually plays and overthrows a couple of passes, that is going overboard. Yeah. I think whoever you put in, there's ways to tank. Uh, and but the players that are playing have to have be to, striving ex, to do exact, the best that they ex, can. Exactly. So there's ways to do it. Like I said, sit them out, over-exaggerate their in, uh, injuries. Vegas will somehow, they find out everything for, for, what, for whatever reason. They, they have a spies on every team, I guess, you know. But once it gets to the point where, you know, you should win and it, it's out, overtly out there that, you know what? They're, they're throwing the game, you know, that's where it gets to the point because if Vegas gets upset, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be over. Yeah. So those are the naughty teams. I mean, you have the Deshaun Watson situation and you have the Miami Dolphins with a couple of guilty verdicts. Ernie mentioned the Kareem Hunt asking for a trade. Right. He's in the last year of his contract after missing nine games last year. He's doing what everybody else is doing, trying yeah. to get an extension before, uh, a more significant injury takes place. I, they've already flat out told him no. No leverage. So we'll see. He has no leverage. We'll see what that translates into. But within the NFL, the only thing that I kind of wanted to touch on is my Los Angeles Rams. A lot of chatter around Matthew Stafford's elbow, which bothered him really all year last year. He did, you know, he took a shot in the elbow over the offseason, didn't do anything. Now the training camp has started. It's continuing to, to bother him a little. Um, as a Rams fan, that's a little concerning because 
I think his elbow is what caused some of those. His mind tells him he can throw the deep ball. Mm-hmm. His elbow was throwing the ball short and getting hit, getting the balls picked off at times when he was throwing deep. Early in the year, he was hitting the Sean Jackson. He was hitting others. Late in the year, those balls are getting intercepted. Um, so I'm a little concerned as a Rams fan because our backup option is a huge drop-off for Matthew Stafford. And it doesn't matter what the team is. If we don't have a healthy Stafford, it's going to be hard for the Rams to navigate that gauntlet of a schedule that they're facing this year and, and be able to repeat. So I'm a little bit concerned. He says he's playing it off a little bit. But it's like a pitcher saying, hey, my elbow's okay. And then all of a sudden, it's Tommy John surgery. Right. Or like your big Ben a couple of years ago with his elbow surgery. And uh, I'm beginning to wonder if that's the inevitable nature of what Matthew Stafford's going to face in the next year or so, some kind of corrective surgery on his elbow, which is a huge concern. No, yeah, I mean, he navigated through the playoff. If that was in the declining stages, you know, uh, I mean, everybody heads, heads into the playoff with some sort of ailment. You can't go through a season and say you're 100% going into the playoffs. Uh, the main thing is that he was able to navigate, uh, you know, through that playoffs and, uh, not that they did it with ease. I mean, there was definitely some, I, some of the best playoff football I've seen in a long time last year. I got, I, I have to say that. Uh, but he, he made it through him and he executed at the highest points, which, uh, you know, in my opinion, some of that, uh, is, is more important than the, the physical nature. I mean, you look at Tom Brady, not the most gifted physically of all quarterbacks yet. He's considered the GOAT by many, uh, even myself to be included. So, uh, yes, some concern from an outside perspective looking in. Uh, I am not that worried. I'm, I'm kind of wishing that I hope he's more injured than I think he is, but I don't think so. I hope he's not. But I do agree with you. Last year's playoffs was the greatest in the NFL history. That's for sure. Um, we're going to do a lot more NFL as we go along here. And it'll culminate in a couple of weeks from now. We're going to be doing our fantasy football mock draft. Oh, yes. You remember last year we talked, we broke down the top quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, etc. We're going to be doing that again in a couple of weeks for you before all of you draft. Before you would really have to wait to do this show because teams play their starters. Now, because of the Rams and what they've done recently, no one is playing their starters. So I think we can be pretty sure that the players that we think are going to be good are still going to be available, although you never know. Injuries pop up here and now. But our fantasy draft show will be hitting in about a couple of weeks. Ernie, nothing really happening in the NBA. We're still on Kyrie watch. We're still on KD watch. Your Celtics, that that buzz surrounding the KD trade has dropped off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, I know you briefly mentioned to me off the air about a possible rumor about a Donovan Mitchell to the Warriors deal, which I don't understand because he doesn't seem to fit their play. Um, anything you want to talk about in the NBA? Yeah, I think right now it's, 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 it's all mums the word. I don't think until Kevin Durant actually, uh, does his thing, which I don't even think is going to happen to be realistic. In my opinion, if I were a betting man, I would say by trade deadline, which is what February of next year, that something happens. Uh, I think towards the ending part, when pe- when teams see that nothing's going to happen, you'll see an uptick in regards to uh, possible, you know, maybe minor trades happening. I know there's still some big names as far as free agents are concerned. Some older veterans that could possibly help some teams out there that are still floating around. But, uh, you know, unless a surprise happens and Kevin Durant uh, or the Nets 
get word that, you know what, he's sitting out of training camp and he's sitting out of preseason and a disgruntled Kevin Durant doesn't look good for us now. We better do something now sooner than later. Then it's not going to happen. But I got a feeling Kevin Durant will honor his contract. And by that, in that manner, I believe nothing happens until the trade deadline, trade, trade deadline leaving it a boring opening season from now from I'm sorry a boring from now until opening season I think I think Kevin Durant really is the straw that stirs yes. the activity yes. now if Kevin Durant goes then Kyrie will go yeah. I know my Lakers still want Kyrie they're still waiting on him they're trying to develop contingency trades in the event that they cannot get him do they bring in Miles Turner do they bring in Buddy Hield they want Patrick Beverly you know, they're trying to work on a number of different things to get rid of Russell Westbrook. But it all kind of falls around Kevin Durant. So right. we'll have to see how that goes. Maybe something will happen between this week and next, but really quiet in the NBA over the last two weeks. Right. So Ernie, the Live Tour back in the news this week. Tiger Woods reportedly was offered between seven and eight hundred million dollars yeah, as a signing bonus to go to the Live Tour. He turned them down. I'm not sure when this was. I'm guessing this is before when everyone else was signing and not just currently. Um, my thought on this is that's a lot of money to turn down, mm-hmm. but Tiger's worth a billion. So when you're a billionaire, it's easy to turn down seven to 800 million if you want to avoid when you're making most of your money from marketing and you're afraid of the marketing impact of you going. Um, so I understand Tiger not doing that, but that does not change my mind that if you or I were offered $200 million to play 12 tournaments, three rounds in each one, why wouldn't we do it when I, most I, of those are in this country? Yeah, i do it for $200,000. I do would do my, it for a Big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> nah, two Big Macs. <laughs> a Bob Bogle deal. Uh, extra large Coke included. But yeah, I mean... It's it's crazy what they're trying to do, and and really the fallout from that are a lot of these uh, players, especially from the PGA side, jumping on that bandwagon, knowing how Tiger feels right now. Because Tiger Woods, the way he said, it, he just didn't turn down the deal. He kind of called out the guys who defected. Yeah. I mean, he's bas- he basically said. You're dishonoring the PGA who gave you all this money. And really, it wasn't the PGA who gave them all this money. It was Tiger Woods who gave them all this money. So if the, per, if the player who... I think every player out there, except for Phil Mickelson, can attribute most of their earnings to Tiger Woods. Certainly it, it, the volume of their it, earnings, it, for it, sure. It, exactly, because he... Uh, he, he just... Uh, he brought purses up exponentially. Purses, uh, viewing, yeah. marketing, everything, endorsement deals, everything. That's crazy yeah. how much money he brought into the yeah. sport. So when, so when he's, so when he said that, a lot of other uh, PGA professionals started, you know, yapping up, and now it, for golf is supposed to be like one of those, the, like a gentleman's sport game where you, you try to be nice to everybody. I mean, it's, it's, it's turning WWE. It, it, it is. As far as social media is concerned, I mean, it's going back and forth. Well, also this week, Phil Mickelson and a bunch of NBA, uh, I mean, PGA, players that yeah. left that for the live tour suing the PGA exactly. for antitrust rules huh? violations. And I would think that they're probably going to win here because they have PGA membership. 
I think what's going to happen is the PGA is going to wise up and understand that they cannot afford to continue to lose their best players because the tour is as successful as the players that are playing. Exactly. That's the world we live in. It has to be of interest to draw the masses. And all the big personalities, except for Rory and Tiger, are now on the live tour. So it behooves them to find a way to coexist and benefit from each other rather than going head to head. I, I agree. So, so why, I mean, I, I, I think this is just arrogance on the, on the PGA side. I mean, let's, let's be real. I mean, uh, the PGA, uh, at one point was considered elitist. I mean, the majors were considered elitist. I mean, wasn't it like three or four years ago, uh, maybe a year or two prior to COVID that the, the masters didn't even allow women into their, into their golf club. There were women protesting outside of Augusta National. So, so it, it's, I can see you, uh, from an idealistic standpoint, not trying to support the live tour because it's Saudi Arabia based, you know, and Saudi Arabia has been known to, you know, do a lot of shady things. Let's just say that, you know, they're, they're not the cleanest country. They've been spoiled by their riches as far as natural resources and they're using it to their advantage. And you got this big sheik of the royal family kind of, you know, using this thing like a toy. A, a lot of people get, uh, you know, a little perturbed out of that. But the PGA itself uh, doesn't have clean hands. So to me, it's 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 a little pot caught calling the kettle black, you oh, know, absolutely. everything like that. So and like you said earlier, if they don't get these names into the majors and you only get two or three handful, and maybe those guys don't even make the cut, a la Tiger Woods, this last one, uh, it be, it doesn't, it's, it's not a, it, an interest anymore. And to me, you, you stand the risk of losing even more viewership by not allowing these live tour players to compete in at least the, the majors. I mean, we, we, you got the, the FedEx Cup coming and a lot of these players won't be eligible to play on. I'm interested to see on what the viewership is going to be on top of that. If that has terrible ratings, I mean, the yeah, PG- they're, not, they're not allowed to play in the FedEx cup. They're not allowed to play in the president's cup. They're not allowed to play in the Ryder cup, which is one of your favorite events. Yeah. And on both sides, you're taking almost all of the European and American teams and they're not going to be able to play because they're all on the live tour right now. So it, it, it really seems like it behooves everybody to come to some kind of an agreement. And let's not be selective in what we decide to protest, because let's be honest, Ernie, we are both huge NBA fans, and the NBA is beholden to China. China yep. dictates so much about what happens in the NBA, and there is nobody worse right now than China and Russia, at least in terms of the impact that's having in the world. And yet we do everything for China when it comes to the NBA. Yep. So to protest this live tour because of the Saudi Arabia and how they treat their people, they don't treat their people any worse than the Chinese treat their people. Exactly. But it is what it is. I'm not saying that either one is right. Certainly we understand that there's a certain way to treat your people, but let's not pick and choose when we want to be political advocates and when we don't. That's kind of what's happening with the live tour. Yep. Anything else before I get into my closing thought? No, just uh, Ennis Cantor would be 
would disagree with you right now, even though he's sitting at home apologizing to the president of China right now. <laughs> go, go, go ahead with your final thought. So, so guys, it was a very sad day, especially for a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. But I think anyone who's been a baseball fan for the last 70 years, when Vin Scully passed away earlier this week at 94 years old, he had retired about uh, seven years ago from doing broadcast, but he had done Dodger games for 67 years. He is widely considered the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. And I don't think it's even remotely close. There's no one that's even close to him in baseball. I go a step further. I know he didn't do a lot of sports and there are others like Al Michaels or Bob Costas that do multiple sports um, that might be able to put up a fight. But I think even if you ask Al Michaels and I actually heard Al Michaels uh, on an interview right after Vince Scully passed away or Bob Costas, they would both say that there was no one better than Vince Scully at what he did. I remember as a kid growing up on the big island of Hawaii, where we didn't get uh, Honolulu stations. For those of you that are listening uh, outside of Hawaii, Oahu, Honolulu is where the majority of the people live. That's where the majority of the activity is. I grew up on a neighbor island where we didn't get access to Honolulu stations. So when my family and I drove to the other side of the island, for a hotel stay. I vividly remember sitting with my small transistor radio at my ear at the pool listening to Dodger games in the mid-1970s and Vin Scully. And it was just magic how he was able to captivate you, do everything. And he did it oftentimes by himself, mm -hmm. but he could do the play-by-play. -play, he could do the colors. He was prepared with stories for every single player on both teams that could go into any direction. It was like listening to an absolute wizard of his profession. And uh, there has been no one better, in my opinion, almost all the major events in baseball history, Hank Aaron's 715th home run, the 86 World Series with the Bill Buckner error through his legs, Kurt Gibson's magic home run in 88, all of them called by Vin Scully. He is already missed because he retired seven years ago. But Ernie, think about it. Who works for 67 years? He started working as a 20-year-old when it was the Brooklyn Dodgers, helped the Dodgers move them to the West Coast and really helped build baseball on the West Coast with his unbelievable sound. And the reason why I feel like he's so much better than anyone else is there's something about baseball in the history of it, 162 games. There is so much content that has to happen 162 times a year for one for 67 years besides the playoff baseball announcers are a different breed because it's every single day for seven months unlike basketball which is next and certainly unlike football which you only have to show up on sundays mm -hmm. for 16 or 17 games he did it 162 games a year for 67 years vin scully in my opinion the greatest broadcaster of all time. Wow. Yeah. First of all, rest in peace, Vin Scully. I mean, yeah, un un undoubtedly the best, the best announcer, uh, baseball announcer ever. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not saying he wasn't the best. I mean, it, it's hard because, you know, for baseball, you really got to paint the picture. It's not a fast moving sport. So it, it's more like listening to radio while you're watching TV 
you know, even though you are listening to a radio in some cases, uh, you have to paint the picture because the action doesn't happen right away, like in basketball or in football and, and, and whatnot. So you really have that art has somehow with media nowadays has, has, uh, has been lost in some sorts. And Vince Cully really, he did a masterful job as far as, you know, I wouldn't even say paint a picture. I mean, this guy was an artist. I mean, the, his broadcast was basically a piece of art, the, the, the way he did. He could make the most, uh, mundane situation seem, seem exciting. You know, just in his choice of words, his analogies, uh, like you said, the stories out there that he would create, uh, that, you know, the timing of everything. Uh, he did it his way. My only drawback in regards to consider saying that he, he's considered, uh, the greatest announcer of all time is that he was primarily just in baseball. Yeah. I mean, I could go back to other announcers who did a lot of radio. I mean, I'll go with, with my guy, uh, from the Boston Celtics, uh, Johnny Most, terrific guy. I mean, the way he announced, uh, basketball, uh, I mean, and I didn't really listen to this guy. I, I, I hear a lot of his stuff on replays of, you know, Celtics all time greatest moments. Your guy from the Lakers, Chick Hearn, uh, another terrific announcer. I mean, we, we could go onto football, onto, like you said, Bob Costas, who done, did multiple sports. Uh, a lot of great sports announcers out there, really depending on what you pick as far as, uh, your love of, uh, you know, what you like in announcing will dictate whether he's the greatest of all time. But he's definitely, he is definitely on the Mount Rushmore of announcers. He certainly is. I mean, 67 years, there's no one that does that for that, that amount of time. Vin Scully, Thank you for all of your time with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You literally, I've been a Dodger fan literally my entire life, and you have been a big part of that. I mean, from birth till now, seven years ago when you retired. What an incredible, incredible announcer. You would certainly be missed, and you could see that with all of the accolades and honors that happened all week. I think, Ernie, the biggest honor was the fact that he passed away while the Dodgers were in San Francisco, their biggest rivals. They stopped the game after the Giants honored him that day and the next day. And I think that gives you the impact when your biggest rival can honor you. I think that's the yep. ultimate show of respect. Definitely. And I think that's what happened that time. So Vince Gully, rest in peace. You had an amazing 94 years on this earth. Ernie, any other things you want to cover? I'm good. So guys, we talked a lot about, about baseball, the trade deadline, Ernie's Cardinals in first place, Ooh. my Dodgers in first place. Looks like we're on track to beat the Cardinals again <laughs> in the playoffs this year. Hopefully it's not one game for the Dodgers, but the baseball two thirds of the way down. We've got 50 plus games left. Um, NBA, nothing really going on. NFL getting started. And don't forget, we're a couple of weeks away. All you fantasy football fans, you do not want to miss our fantasy football show coming up in a couple of weeks. So check us out on social media, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Tell us what you think. Ask us questions. Communicate with us. We love the dialogue. And until next week, the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. 
Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Hey.